1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. We're going to be uh, picking up where we left off last week. And so uh, previously, what we talked about last week, what I want to uh, just bring up momentarily, is last week we talked about darkness versus true light. Uh, and that was a big theme in last week's sermon. It's going to come back up uh, in this particular week. So uh, I want to remind you of what I said last week, which was simply this, that the history of the world up until this point had been a violent one. Uh, religiously speaking, every world religion had been incredibly violent. Uh, and this was a new thought in Christianity. The Christianity was uh, not based on violence, not based on you had to do X, Y, and Z to please God, but rather that God has done something for your salvation. And so that was all last week. Uh, and so this week, we're going to just dive right into it. So First John chapter 2, starting with verse 12. And this is what God's word says. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So we're going to look at uh, those three verses sort of in a collective together. Uh, you'll notice a couple of things that first jump out. First of all, uh, John repeats himself. Uh, when I was putting in, in fact, putting in the text for the slideshow and I came to the Bible verse, I had to like triple check against a physical Bible to make sure that my computer program wasn't making a mistake because the words were so similar. I thought, well, I just put in this in. What's this about? And so I opened up my Bible and then, fair enough, there it was. He was repeating himself. And something that I know I've said before, but it always bears repeating, which is kind of ironic, that when Scripture repeats itself, it's a a way for us to pay attention. It's literally Scripture's way of saying, what I'm about to say is really important. You should pay attention to this. And so here, John repeats himself a couple of times by saying, I am writing to you little children, X, Y, Z. I am writing to you fathers, X, Y, Z. I am writing to you young men, X, Y, Z. And then he repeats it again. And so it's something that we need to pay attention to. And so when we're looking at this particular section, we know this is something that John wanted us uh, to pay attention to. But then also what we're looking at is these three different brackets of people. Now, some of you are going to be saying, well, I am not a child, I am not a young man, and I am not a father, therefore I don't have to pay attention to any of this. Uh, you do, just uh, FYI. When he's talking about genders in this particular role, he's not talking specifically to men. He is talking to all of us. What he's actually talking about is where you are on your Christian walk. So let me explain. All of us are somewhere on our Christian walk in our Christian maturity. Some of us are like children. That is, we're new to the faith. We don't know a lot about Christianity, but we're just here with the enthusiasm of children. Uh, you know the enthusiasm of children, right? No? Oh, some of you do. You, you're a little bit asleep, so I'm going to wake you up. So here's the enthusiasm of children. Uh, I have a nephew. He is now four years old. I love him to death. Uh, by the time he's old enough to realize that I'm using him as sermon illustrations, it's going to be too late for him. All of you are going to have an opinion. Uh, but William is four years old, and he just adores Thomas the Train Engine. Uh, if you talk to him about Thomas the Train Engine, 
it's really strange because he can tell you every single, the name of every single engine. He can tell you the name of the helicopter, the boat. He can tell you the name of the controller person, the island that they're on. He'll be able to sing, sing the theme song. This is the kid that gets lost in our house because he can't remember where he was sleeping. Okay? This is the same kid that will come out of one room and be like, where's my stuff? I can't but when you get to him about Thomas the Train Engine, he just goes nuts when he walks through the door of the house. The first thing that he does, we have a little section over uh, in our entertainment section that is sort of the kids' little children's books. And when he walks into our house, the first thing he does, he makes a beeline straight to it because he knows that's where Thomas the Train Engine is. Those are where his books that we've bought him, those, he's got little figurines that he pulls out. There's a huge map. It's very, very cool. And he goes nuts for it. He loves it more than anything that I've ever seen anyone. And so when scripture is referring here to little children, there are some people in their Christian walk, in their Christian maturity that are like that. They uh, don't know a lot, but what they do know, they love and they want to know more. Right? Have you met those Christians, those new Christians? Uh, I, I get jealous because of their energy and fervor. I don't have that anymore. I'm, I'm getting into my 30s now. Uh, and I'm starting to slow down. I know some of you are looking at me like, you've got a long way to go. I know that. <laughs> but I feel old, all right? I, I feel old. Uh, and so, so, so there are new Christians that are like that. Then there, are, then there are young men. Or people who, now, you might recognize this. This is, uh, even though it doesn't directly equate to age, I see myself in this in my teenage years. It's the years that you think you know everything, and you won't listen to other people, especially older, mature Christians. All right, uh, again, let me, let, let me explain this. I don't like to rag on teenagers because the one that we have here like, looks down and doesn't make eye contact while I talk about this. Just saying. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about her. Anyway. Um, points are out because I can because I have the microphone. Um, like, let's be honest. Teenagers don't listen to adults very often. Uh, I think I've used this as an example before. I'll use it again. Uh, when I read through the Harry Potter books when I was a child, I thought they were great and fantastic adventure. Now that I read them as an adult, half the time I'm just saying, what are you children doing? Go and find an adult. Let them know what's going on. Like, what are you doing? Like, maybe it's my safe from harm, protecting the mission training. I don't know what it is. But when I see teenagers who, are, who don't look for wisdom, who don't look for guidance, who don't look for someone to tell them or give them instruction, I just want to think, what are you doing? This is going to derail. This, the train's going off the tracks, and you're just going to be standing there going, well, at least I got 500 likes on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and so, so there are people, Christians, who are in this childlike maturity who have a lot of energy over certain topics but don't know a lot. Then there are Christian teenagers or young men who maybe know a lot about a certain subject, but they're not open to correction, they're not open to teaching, uh, they're, they're set in their ways already and their ideals. And then you've got old men, who like myself, maybe, just maybe, and, and here's what's funny about old men, we don't know everything, but we're willing to learn, which is usually a trait of a child. But when you come into a point in Christian maturity when you can finally say, you know what, I don't know everything. I need to be open to other people's opinions and ideas. I need to listen to the fellowship of believers as long as it's foundationally based on Scripture. When you come into that, then you're truly a mature Christian or an old man. 
And so John here is talking very specifically about these three groups. So this is not about specific genders or about specific ages, but rather what this is about is Christians in their different stages of their Christian faith and walk. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Thank you. Look, I'm tired. I know what your problem is, but if you don't give me an amen, I'm just going to keep going. And there is a Seahawks game on this afternoon. Thank you. Say amen when I tell you to. This isn't a dictatorship, but it kind of is. So here's what we got. These guys are called children because with the forgiveness of their sins, they've been welcomed into the family of God. Scripture tells us that when we become part of the family of God, we get adopted by the Father into his house. Now, controversial point, maybe you've heard this. uh, Someone saying of both Christians and non-children, well, we're all God's children here. Have you ever heard that? Uh, The term God's children actually only applies to Christians. It doesn't apply to non-Christians. Now, some of you are going to freak out. I know. Let me explain. When you become a Christian, Scripture tells us, according to the New Testament, that you and I are then adopted into the family of God and are co-heirs with Christ to his glory. That's what Scripture says. Therefore, in order to be adopted and to be God's child, we need to be adopted. The only way for adoption is through Jesus Christ. Now, we're all God's creations. Each one of us was created with a purpose for our life that God wants us to live out. He put us on a path Uh, and he set that path in front of us. However, we are only children of God after we've accepted Christ. Some people don't like that because they think we're being uh, exclusive, but the reality is it's not exclusive, it's inclusive because anyone can be a child of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that's it. That's the ball game. That's all you need to do. There's nothing more. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be adopted into the family of God and you will be co-heirs with Christ to the glory of God. And so little children are children because with the forgiveness of sins, they have been welcomed into the family of God, their father. The next thing that he talks about is fathers. And they are fathers because of their knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. And it qualifies them to hand this knowledge down to future generations. Uh, As much as I love teenagers, (laughs) if a teenager tells me something, I'm going on to Google to check it. Okay? Uh, and then I, when, when I go into Google to check it, I'm going to find s- different sources of information, not just the first result. If an older adult tells me something, if Bill tells me something, I'm going to take it at face value. Because with his age, and he's going to like this, there is an implied knowledge and maturity about him. Notice I said implied. Fathers communicate knowledge to children. That's one of their roles as pointed out in Scripture. Fathers communicate knowledge. And so here where he says, when he's talking about fathers and he repeats it uh, repeatedly, uh, fathers, uh, you know, they are fathers because their knowledge of God in Jesus Christ qualifies them to hand their knowledge down to future generations. This is not just a right but a responsibility. When you get to the stage where you are a mature Christian, again, not talking about, uh, talking about sex and not talking about age, but when you are a mature Christian, you have a responsibility to hand that knowledge down to people who are immature in faith. 
Uh, a lot of people like to bring up, judge not, lest you be judged. You know, how dare a person judge me on my walk with God? That's between me and the Lord. E- yes, but no. Here's what's really interesting about the scripture about judge not. It says, judge not, lest you be judged. And then Jesus continues and says, in the same manner that you judge, so too shall you be judged. There's more to that statement. Uh, In the book of, I believe it's Corinthians, I know it's the writings of Paul, I think it's Corinthians, but Paul actually says, you have heard it said, judge not lest ye be judged, but I tell you the truth, we are not to judge the world, those outside of our walls, those who are not Christians, but we are to judge the people within our walls and within the church because we want them to grow. When you see a Christian who is acting contrary to what Scripture says to do, your job and responsibility as a mature Christian is actually to grab that person and say, hey, this is what I see you doing. This is what Scripture tells you to do. Those two things are at odds. Let's resolve this. And that's our job, our right, and our responsibility as mature Christians is actually to grow those who aren't. And so a lot of people will say, uh, things of the pastor like, well, you know, that's what we pay him for. Guess what? You don't, you don't pay me that much, number one. But number two, I'm joking. I'm fine. Thank you for, for caring. It's not my solo responsibility to ensure that you guys are spiritually fed. It's my responsibility to do that on Sunday, but it's your responsibility to do that for yourself. If you eat one meal on Sunday once a week, you're going to starve to death. It's just the way that it works. And so if you are not spiritually feeding yourselves, then you're going to starve to death. And if you're not spiritually speaking into the lives of those that God has put in your life, then they're going to starve to death as well. Christianity is about cooperation and collaboration and about us coming together as a Christian family and taking care of each other. And part of that taking care of each other is spiritual formation and discipleship. Amen? Amen. Taylor's got the right idea. She's worried about missing the Seahawks game. (laughs) They are called young men because of their decisive rejection of the evil one, is a victory like that of Jesus, who as a young man triumphed over Satan in the wilderness. They're called young men because they're filled with passion. Have you met a young man that's filled with passion? Uh, Again, I may or may not play video games. I play a wonderful game called Minecraft. If you were to ask me anything about Minecraft, anything at all, I would be able to provide you an answer without going to a computer because I know everything that there is absolutely to know about Minecraft. I have been playing it for, well, since the beta came out many, many years ago. I play it on my Xbox. I play it on my phone. I play it on my PC. I played it on my old console as well, and I think I play it on my iPad. On my console alone, I've logged something along the lines of 6,000 hours. Now... That's, I'm, I'm, I'll prove it to you. Next time I'm, I'm with you, I've got a screenshot on my phone of how many hours I've played. The point is, as a young man, I dedicated a lot of my time and a lot of my memory cells, which now I'm really regretting because I'm running out of memory cells, um, to learning about this one particular topic. And uh, young men are passionate about these sorts of things. Young people get into grooves and they find causes and passions to be passionate about. And so we need this, believe it or not, even in Christianity, even though the uh, 
the idea of Christianity is that you are on the road to Christian maturity. We still need Christian young people who can get passionate about causes, who will listen to the advice and the wisdom of older generations, but will still be passionate about the things that they need to be passionate about. I don't feel like you're being honest with your amens, therefore I'm going to take a little more time. So what I've been talking about so far is simply the idea of Christian maturity. Uh, the word maturity doesn't get a lot of time in our vocabularies today. Um, but Christian maturity, I think, is one of the things that the church is currently lacking. Christian maturity, the idea that maybe you don't know everything. Maybe the idea that we need to open ourselves up for new ideas and new experiences as long as those ideas and experiences based on Scripture. Now, you'll notice that every time I say this, I say that the foundation of Scripture is key to everything that we do. And it is. Foundation of Scripture is key to everything that we do. The message that we deliver doesn't change, but the methodology does. Now, moving on. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, very simple concept. Do not love the world. It's very, very simple, but we need to sort of expand on it just for a few minutes, if you will allow me. This is what we got. There are things that we love, but we can't love them more than we love God. There are things that God has put in your life. There are people that God has put in your life. There are uh, ideas, there are concepts, there are habits, there are hobbies. There's lots of positive things that God has put into your life. Uh, my nephew, William, I love him more than anything else. Almost as, uh, I love Milena about the same amount, let's be honest. Milena is my niece, she's one year older. She's fantastic, she went to preschool now. She's turning into an actual person, which is really weird. Um, because she's still only this tall. Uh, but she's an actual person with like feelings and ideas and concepts, and she's no longer a, a child. So it's very weird for me uh, because I knew her when she was born. Um, I love them. Uh, and I've said this a couple of times, and there's only three people in this world that I'm willing to die for. Uh, my wife is one, and my niece and nephew are the other two. Okay? Um, I'm willing to stand in front of a bullet for those three people. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't love other people, but those are the three that I'm willing to die for. You may judge me for that. I don't care. I really don't. God has put these two very small, very fantastic people in my life. However great and fantastic they are, they are no more important than God. Nothing is more important than God. God is always first and foremost. If God was to say to me, Captain Jonathan, I almost call myself a lieutenant there for a second. 
Captain Jonathan, if I, I want you to go and serve in another country where you're not going to be able to be part of your niece and nephew's life. I want you to go overseas and I want you to do this, this, and this. Because of the way that I believe Scripture instructs me to live my life, I would have to say yes, even though that would cause me emotional pain because I wouldn't be part of their lives. Does that make sense? Uh, I know there are a couple of people who, really are, who fully understand this concept, so I don't want to belabor it too much. But simply that things, there are things that we love, but we can't love them more than God. And if we do love them more than God, then we become idolaters. Uh, when you look at the Ten Commandments, which is the foundation for the laws of the Old Testament, the very first commandment is this. I am the Lord you God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, 4 and 5, uh, where he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. He said that the love of God is the first and greatest commandment. It's tracked from the Old Testament into the New, and nothing changes. Therefore, if anything gets elevated to the place above our love for God, even friends and family, even the things that God has put into our lives, those things become idols, and we become idolaters. If we love anything more than God, we become idolaters. And I just want to reiterate this. Any good gift comes from God. We learn that in Scripture. He says all good gifts come from the Father above. But worshipping it more than God is just plain wrong. And the idea is here is, is very simply, if you're a Christian, if you've uh, called on Christ for your salvation, you've been called to live a way that is different than that that the world calls you to live. The world right now tells you that everything is about you as an individual, that you should uh, advance your own interests more than anyone else, that you need to take care of yourself more than anyone else, that you need to secure for yourself a happy life, a happy foundation, and if you just get the right car, the right job, the right house, you're going to be happy for the rest of your life, and that is the goal of your existence. That's what the world teaches. If you disagree with that, talk to me after the service, and I will show you a thousand things that proves that I'm right and you're wrong. That's what the world teaches. When you become a Christian, it reorientates your mindset and it refocuses your mindset to understand this, that you're not the most important thing in the world. The universe doesn't revolve around you. Some of us may think it does, but it doesn't. As much as I love them, the world does not revolve around the Seahawks. We're still going to get out of here in time to watch the preseason opener, but the world doesn't revolve around that. I know that because when the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl and they were two yards away from the end zone on the second down and they had Marshawn Lynch as their running back and they instead decided not to give him the ball but to throw him a slant pass that got intercepted in the end zone and allowed the Patriots to win and beat the Seahawks, the world the next day didn't stop. I cried, but the world the next day didn't stop. It kept going. And there were several people on my Facebook feed that I had to delete because of their horrible comments about my beautiful Seahawks. But the world didn't stop. God gives us football. God gives us competitions, places where we can focus our energies, places that help us to relax. But if any of them become 
more important than worshipping God, it's just wrong. Now, um, blank page so I can just vamp. Because I know I'm going to cry. Because I'm going to be ending today on a, on a sad note. Uh, something happened yesterday that caused me to rewrite my sermon this morning. Uh, I had a, for those that you don't know, the way that I write my sermons is I choose a book of the Bible uh, months in advance. I then get a common theme, what the theme for the entire series is going to be, and then I break that book of the Bible up into sub-points, and those are going to be the individual sermons. The outlines are written, and from week to week, I just fill in the flesh or the, the, on the bones. Does that make sense? That's the way I write my particular sermons. Uh, this morning, I completely rewrote the sermon that I had planned from months ago because of what happened yesterday. Uh, and because I knew that I, wasn't, I was probably not going to make it through without becoming emotional, I wrote everything that I was going to say down, which is very uh, strange for me. Normally, I just make it up as I go. I have points that, where I know I want to land, but the in-between passages are usually made up as I go. So here's what happened yesterday. A group of people assembled, assembled in Charlottesville, Virginia, to protest the removing of a Confederate statue. These people, the people that were protesting, were white supremacists, neo Nazis, and KKK members. These people were carrying lit torches and flags, and they were wearing Nazi icons and imagery. I'm not making it up. This, is hap this was happening yesterday in the United States of America. They were chanting racist slogans and calling for white Americans to retake their country. They were raising their arms in Nazi salutes. And again, in case you think I'm making it up. Again, happening yesterday in the United States of America. And this happened yesterday. Yesterday. Not 50 years ago, yesterday. As counter-protests erupted, a man drove his car at high speed at the counter-protesters, killing one and injuring a dozen. The reports are that he got into his car, aimed it at the counter-protests, stepped his foot on the gas, accelerated into them, then reversed up and went again. He killed one instantly. Seventeen went to the hospital. There was something else that happened. Two cops also passed away, but it's unclear whether or not that was related to the particular riot, so I don't want to uh, include that in here because I don't know the facts for certain of why those two gentlemen passed away. This is the hatred that I was talking about last week that exists in our country. When I told you that the Christian church exists to carry forward the light and love of God, this is the darkness and hatred that I was talking about. In case some of you thought that last week I was making it up or I was uh, trying to hype it up in some way, shape, or form, this happened yesterday. I spoke last week about the world being a dark place filled with hatred, violence, and intolerance, and this is what I was talking about. Here's what's interesting. Many of these white supremacists claim to be Christian. See, some of you aren't shocked by that, so I'm going to say it again. 
these white supremacists claim to be Christian. They claim to worship the same God that I worship. They claim to love Jesus, the same Jesus that I love. This is infuriating to me. And I love you. It's infuriating that half of you didn't even know this happened when you came into this church service today. As Christians, we are called to know things and to not be ignorant and to be able to stand up to the people that God have placed in our lives and say, no, this isn't Christianity. This isn't my faith. This isn't my religion. These people claim to be Christians. The verse we just looked at said this. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These people cared more about the color of their skin than the lives of others. I don't know how a person can be proud in their skin color. It doesn't compute in my brain, and here's why. I did nothing to choose being white. I did nothing to choose being a man. I had no say in that whatsoever. My parents didn't have a say in that whatsoever. The way I was born was a direct uh, result of things that were out of my control. So how can I be proud in my skin color? I can be proud of the fact that I love Christ. I can be proud of the fact that I love my wife. I can be proud of the fact that I love you guys because those are things that I've had direct control over in my life. Those are the things that we should be proud of. Not proud because of what I look like. This is this is not Christianity. This is not what we're about. When you get really upset because non-Christians look at the church and say, churches are filled with hypocrisy, this is is what they're talking about. This is why. Because even when this was happening, the arguments against denouncing these people were coming from Christians or people who claimed to be Christians. When you look at Twitter, when you look at Facebook, when you look at the newsfeed, the people arguing that these white supremacists are doing nothing wrong, if you follow their profiles, they'll say that they claim to love Jesus. This is infuriating to me. It's not Christianity. I want to show you a a third picture of these protests from yesterday. That is an African-American gentleman who is a police officer protecting the rights of the white supremacists to protest the fact that he was born black. When the Bible says, do not repay evil for evil, but repay evil for good, this is the type of gentleman that I want to use as an example. I don't know who he is. I don't know his name. I don't know his background. He could be an atheist for all I know. But for all I can see is this guy, no matter what his background is, is acting more Christian than half of my Christian friends on Facebook. 
do not repay evil for evil, but repay evil for good. I want to end our time together this morning by praying. Praying for our country, praying for these people. Because here's what also I very firmly believe. That even these... There was almost going to be a swear word there. Even these people that are white supremacists, that are KKK members, who are chanting slogans, who are raising their hands in Nazi salutes, even these people are open to receive the grace and forgiveness of God. Now, there are times in my life where I wish Scripture wasn't quite as clear as it was, where I could say there was a very clear line that these people were going to hell and that's good. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that even these people, even these people, if they pray for forgiveness, will be granted forgiveness. Now, part of me says, well, that's really not fair because I had to ask for forgiveness and all I ever really did was stole a couple of cookies and swore a little. Like, you know, I wasn't a bad boy. I didn't go off the rails like some people that we, we hear in the newspaper do. And yet I have to ask for forgiveness the same as them and my forgiveness. Look, it doesn't matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. I make this point as, as often as I can because sometimes I think as Christians we try and miss it. We try and hide our own shame and our own guilt in the back and say, but you don't understand what I've done. God could never forgive me for that. The reality of Scripture is it doesn't matter what you've done, you can be forgiven by God. It doesn't matter what you've done, you can be forgiven for God. And so we are going to close our time together in prayer. And then Heidi's going to come up and lead us in our benediction. And we're going to go away from this place. Now, I know I got angry. I know I yelled. I know I got upset. Listen to me. I want you to be able to stand in your communities with your friends, your families, your workers, co-workers, however your life looks like. I want you to be able to stand firm and say, this is Christian behavior, not this, this is Christian behavior. I want you be, to be able to stand up and proclaim the love of God, that God doesn't judge a person based on the color of their skins, but rather God judges a person based on their heart. God doesn't judge a person based on where they were born or how much money they have in the bank. God judges a person based on their heart. That Christians love people that we are called over and over and over again to love people. I want you to be able to stand up and when you see behavior like this, which if you think is on the other side of the country, the same people who organized that rally yesterday organized one in Seattle today. Just a hundred miles away, there is a white supremacist rally happening in Seattle. This is not isolated. This is not far away. This is not different than your life. This is in your life today. And what history tells us is that when Christians don't stand up for what's right, when Christians ignore what is wrong and just say, well, that's happening over there, it doesn't affect us, when that happens, historically, the world goes off the rails. You are called to be the light of the world. 
to go into the dark world and advance the light and the love of God. You are called to do that, not to sit in here and warm a pew on Sunday and then do whatever you want during the week and then on Sunday come back to do it again. You are called to go into this world and be the light of God. And I want you to be able to do that. I don't want you to be scared of doing it. I don't want you to think, man, these people aren't going to like me anymore. Man, these people aren't going to talk to me anymore. All of that is irrelevant in the scope of eternity. What is relevant is when you stand before God and God says to you, why didn't you do this? How are you going to respond? Or is God going to call you into his presence and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You stood up for my son, you advance the light and the love of God into a dark world. Come in, good and faithful servant.